0: church calendar calls Lent for these seven weeks uh, we have been in a series that is called um, Breaking Barriers and throughout this series we are in the Gospel of John and we are looking at seven characters in the Gospel of John and John writes his gospel he decla- he tells us he says I write this so that you may believe that's what John is writing about so that you may believe and we're looking at seven characters in the Gospel of John who struggled in their belief, in their following of Jesus. In the first week we looked at the, uh, the, the Pharisees and we looked at how they were kind of stuck in their religiosity and they had struggled in their following Jesus. Last week we looked at the woman at the well and we, we discussed how sometimes sexual immorality can be a barrier to us following Jesus. Today we're going to look at another character in the gospel of John, but if you will, this character is the crowd. We're looking at the crowd. So I thought as we came to the Bible reading today, and this is an interaction between Jesus and the crowd, it only seemed appropriate that I would play Jesus and you would be the crowd. So that's how we're going to do this Bible reading this morning. It's going to be on the screen. And so you can uh, follow along on there. When it's your turn, You will see uh, lines that will say, pastor, and you'll see what I have just said, and then it will say, people, and then that's what you say is the crowd. When there's a picture up there, that's Jesus uh, talking, and then we'll go back and forth. So that's how our reading is going to work this morning. All right? This is a Bible reading from John chapter 6. It's verses 25 through 59. When the crowd of people found Jesus teaching in the synagogue at Capernaum, they asked him, Jesus answered, very truly, I tell you, you are looking for me, not because you saw the signs I perform, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you, for on him the Father has placed his seal of approval. The crowd asked, The work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. The crowd replied, What, what sign will you give us that we may see it and believe you? What will you do? Our ancestors gave the man of the wilderness, as his prisoner he gave it forever, and he had to be seen. Very truly, I tell you, it is not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. The crowd asked, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. But as I told you, you have seen me, and still you do not believe. All those the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I shall lose none of those he has given me, But raise them up on that last day. For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life. And I will raise them up on that last day. At this, the crowd began to grumble about him. That was very good grumbling. Uh, at this, the crowd began, they, well, actually, okay, the word grumble there that they interpret in the in, in Greek is fussing, right? It's fuss, they were grumbling, they're talking to one another, like, oh, yeah, yeah, this congregation is very good at doing that. Very good, very good. At this, the crowd began to grumble about him. which I give for the life of the world. The crowd began arguing with him. How can this man give us his flesh? How can you say such a ridiculous thing? How can this man give us his flesh to eat? The very idea is revolting. Very truly, I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. This is the bread that has come down from heaven. Your ancestors, they ate manna and they died. But whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God. In thinking of this, uh, the crowd and this interaction with, with Jesus, my mind this week went to the trip that uh, Amy and I and the kids took back from California to Michigan, when we uh, moved back from California. As we, uh, we got in our car and we were prepping ourselves for uh, four, you know, solid days of driving, with little ones in the, in the back seat and so we not only in that day we had to get out the TV with the VCR built into it and figure out how to plug it into the you know into the the car and we had the cooler with all the goodies in it and then in preparation for driving uh, I had seen a commercial for a product that was called Rain-X and so I decided we may right over four days we're probably gonna run into a rainstorm so let's be prepared and so I bought Rain-X and Rain-X is a product that says if you put it on your windshield and you cover your windshield with it then when the rain comes down oh my goodness the water is just going to bead right off it and just, just right off it. And you hardly ever need to use your windshield wipers because you got rain x on your window so we are on our journey we're on this trip back and we hit somewhere in the middle of nebraska in the middle of nowhere uh with no exits around and it starts raining a thunderstorm i'm like no problem we got rain x on our window right this is just gonna we're just gonna sail right through this storm Little did I know that when the water actually hit the Rain-X, it caused your window to fog up. I had applied a liberal amount of Rain-X on our window, trusting in the product. But now that liberal amount of Rain-X that was on my window, when the water hit it, turned into a complete sheet of fog. It was like a glaucoma, you know, in in front of your whole window. We could not see a thing. And so we're not by any, we're in the, like I said, in the middle of nowhere, there were no rest areas, it was downpouring, and so we're grabbing things from back of the car, we're rolling down the window, you know, trying to reach around, wipe the Rain-X off so that we could actually see where we were going. It wasn't until we were able to get to the next exit, uh, which was miles and miles away, after we went through this rainstorm, that we could find some product to try to remove this wonderful Rain-X. That, what is that? a black and a yellow bottle, so I probably bought the wrong bottle. One's for the inside, one's for the outside. One's for the inside, one's for the outside. We're learning about Rain-X this morning. (laughs) Apparently, I used the wrong bottle of Rain-X on the window. And it caused us us this great problem as we were going down the road because we actually could not see where we were going. And I bring that story up because I believe that's exactly what the crowd is experiencing this morning. They're struggling to follow Jesus. Jesus is trying to lead them. He's he's saying, I'm the one that has come down from heaven. You need to follow me, and I will lead you to eternal life. That was his role. That's what he wanted to do. But as they looked at Jesus, they couldn't see him in his fullness. They couldn't understand who he was. There was a barrier between them and Jesus because of their perception, because of their view of who they thought Jesus was. Was and that kept them from following Jesus in the way that Jesus was calling them to do. And we see that expressed in our passage in the five questions that they asked Jesus. And I believe as we just take a quick look at those five questions this morning, that we will see that those are some of the, that, that caused this crowd to have a blurred vision, that maybe, maybe some of us are experiencing that same blurred vision, and we need to, in a sense, roll down the window reach around wipe it off clear it off so that we can follow jesus and see him clearly so that we know exactly where jesus is calling us to walk and as we see these barriers this morning as we've been doing with each of these barriers through lent we've been encouraging to break down the barrier so this morning are you ready to break some barriers let's break some barriers this morning as we look at at the crowd this morning and in their questions of jesus The first question they ask of of Jesus in John chapter six. When did you get here? Thank you. That's exactly right. When did you get here? If I pause to drink, you fill in for me. Okay, that's this is going to work out. This works out well. When did you get here? That's the question they ask. When did you get here? The very first question. Now the background to this question, uh, which we see them asking him in verse twenty five is what happened in the beginning of chapter six, which is Jesus fed the, fi- the 5,000 men, plus women and children. On that day, on that mountainside, Jesus took five loaves of bread, two fish, he fed the entire multitude of people, and it says there were 12 basketfuls left over. The people thought this was a pretty spectacular deal, this crowd did. Oh my goodness, this is the guy who can feed us. This is the guy who can take care of us and if he can feed us like this with all this food left over can you imagine what our country would be like if he was king we would never have to worry about food again we would never have to worry about anything again because boom he could just produce it this would be awesome and so we're told in in John chapter 6 if we look at uh, those who saw the sign in verse 14 It says they saw the sign and they began to say, well, this is the prophet who has come into the world and Jesus, knowing that they intended to come and make him king by force. That was their plan. They saw this miracle and their minds went right to their bellies. He could continue to feed us. Their minds went right to their earthly needs, their earthly wants, their earthly desires. This is the guy who can give us everything we need here on earth. And so Jesus confronts them because they finally find him because Jesus sent the disciples away in a boat. He got him out of there. He didn't want King Herod finding out this crowd was trying to make him king. He didn't want the Romans seeing this uprising. So Jesus sent the disciples out in a boat. He went off to pray. So the crowd thought Jesus went over here to pray while the disciples went out in the boat. And of course, we know what happened that evening, don't we? thunderstorm in the boat here Jesus comes walks on water and then sails with them back over to Capernaum and that's where they're at meanwhile the crowd is still looking for Jesus over here and they're confused they're like where'd he go there's no we saw the disciples go in the boat he didn't go with them. we don't know where he is we don't know where he is they get back to Capernaum and they're like how did you get here <laughs> how did you get here there was only one boat disciples were in the boat you went that way and now you're in Capernaum Oh my goodness Jesus and he knows I know why you're following me I know why you're coming after me I know why you're tracking me down he says in verse 26 very truly I tell you you're looking for me not because you saw the signs and the sign was to point to the reality that he was the Savior that he was the Messiah that he was the one that God sent to give them eternal life you're coming not because you saw the sign and went oh my goodness he's the one who can bring me eternal life but rather because you ate the loaves and had your fill. That's why you're hunting me down. You still want me, not for what I can, who I am, being God's son sent to save you, but you want me to fill your bellies again. That's it. And so we see as the crowd is asking Jesus here, I think really their vision is blurred because their eyes are focused on The material aspects of this world their eyes are focused on the material aspects of this world this is where they're looking I'm gonna follow Jesus because he'll feed me I'm gonna follow Jesus because he'll give us the power to overthrow Rome I'm gonna follow Jesus because he can heal and will never have to be sick again I'm gonna follow Jesus because life on this earth is gonna be oh so pleasant and oh so sweet that's why we're gonna follow Jesus and Jesus said, uh-uh. that's not who I am I'm the bread of life to give you eternal life you need to to move your eyes from looking down here on the world to turning your eyes towards towards heaven to see me and I'm wondering this morning as we gather here if that may not be a problem that some of us have that we simply look at Jesus through our eyes focused on this world we look to Jesus to be the wholesale provider of our comfort of our health to give us power to give us fame that we turn to jesus and we're following him because we believe that if we just ask jesus then our life should be a bed of roses and we should be able to get everything here on this earth that we desire because he's jesus and he should do that for us but that's not who jesus is Jesus said, you got to turn your eyes around. He said, do not. In, in, in the earlier chapter in Matthew, we read in Matthew 6, he says, don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth. Because that bread and all this stuff on earth, it's, moth and rust is only going to destroy it. Thieves, they're going to break in and steal it. But what I want you to do is seek first the kingdom of heaven. That's where your eyes need to be looking. And so this morning, just asking you, do you need to get your eyes off this world and get your eyes turning towards Jesus who wants to fill your soul and bring spiritual things to you because that's why Jesus came into this world not to give us all the stuff that we need here but to give us what we need here to restore that relationship with God Jesus came as the answer to Genesis 3 and now God is fulfilling and re- fulfilling his promise that he would do something and he's doing it through Jesus The second question that they asked Jesus, we see this in verse 28. They asked him and said, what must we do to do the works that God requires? What must we do to do the works that God requires? I think as we look at this, the crowd is looking at Jesus with a blurred vision because they simply are looking at their own self-sufficiency. They're looking at their own self-sufficiency. They come to Jesus and say, Jesus, if you will just give us the formula. Jesus, just tell us what it is we have to do, and we will do it, and we will be able to make our relationship right with God. What is it, Jesus? Because we have within us, if we just know what it is, we have within us the ability, we have within us the power, we have within us everything that we need to restore this relationship with God, we're just missing the formula, so tell us what it is, Jesus, and we'll be able to do it. What is the works, Jesus, that we need to do? And we get it that that this was kind of in their mindset because Judaism was a a works, righteous kind of religion. That's what it had morphed into. God gave them his commandments. He said, these are the rules. This is how you be my people. This is what should shape you and and, 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 con- and how you conform and look into my image, but instead they just created all these rules and then they created rules around the rules so you wouldn't break this rule, and then they created rules around the rules so you wouldn't break the rules, and pretty soon they had 613 rules that they were trying to follow, and they couldn't do it. If anything, the rules taught them that they couldn't do it, but they were still living in that mindset. I can do it. If I just follow this rule, this rule, this rule, and this rule, I'll be able to do it. Remember Jesus' conversation with the rich young ruler? He said, God, just, Jesus, just tell me, what is it that I need to do? What is it that I need to do? And they're asking the same question. What are the works that I need to do so that I can be right in my relationship with God because I know I can do it. I have enough to do it. I have the right stuff to do it. But what we find out and what the truth is, we, we don't have enough. There's no works that we can do. The scriptures tell us that all fall short of the glory of God. Every one of us, no matter how much we would do, no matter how moral we are, no matter how just we are, no matter how righteous we are, no matter how many rules we we keep, we're batting in the 80%, we think we're doing pretty good, we still fall short of God's glory. There are no works that we can do. Instead, Jesus says there's only one work you have to do. There's not works that you do. There's one work that you do. And that work is pretty simple to believe in the works that Jesus did for us. Because Jesus came to be what we couldn't, to do what we couldn't. He came and was sin for us, and He took our punishment. He took the wrath of god he took the guilty mark that we should have had he took it all upon himself he did the work on the cross and gave us his righteousness and our work now is simply to believe believe and how great that is that we can step out of trying to earn and every day be consumed with trying to just set ourselves in in doing the right things to get in this right relationship with God. Instead, we can just breathe easy and say, you know what, I did the one thing. I believe in Jesus Christ. And that's exactly what Jesus says. How do you you receive eternal life? You believe in the one that the Father has sent because I'm the bread of life. I'm the one that will raise you up on that last day. Believe in me. And so maybe you're here this morning and you t- you're caught up in living this, this relationship with Jesus where you're just trying to be good enough and you're just trying to do this and you're just trying to do that. And I'm just asking, could you let that go today? And could you just accept the gift, receive the gift, and step into a relationship of grace with God and then live your life out in gratitude, in thanksgiving for all that Jesus has done? For the work that jesus did for you our lives are then lived following him in gratitude striving to do what he calls us to do because we owe our whole life to him the third question that this crowd asked him is found in verse 30 they say what sign then will you give that we may see it and believe in you what will you do That is the dumbest question that they've asked, I think, in this, (laughs) when I read this, because just what happened the day before. He multiplied five loaves, two fish, and he fed over 5,000 men plus women and children. And they show up and go, hey Jesus, how about you give us a sign so we can believe that you're really the Messiah. Wasn't that sign enough? I mean, they already had a pretty decent sign, and they picked up 12 basketfuls afterward. I would have just, if I was Jesus, I would have just pointed to the baskets right over there. and like, like, mm, duh, right there. But they're going, well, you know what, Jesus? Our ancestors, they ate manna. They ate manna in the desert. And, you, and they, got the des- they, got, they got the manna in the morning, and they got it in the evening. So Jesus, do it again. Do it again. If you really want to prove yourself to us, do it again, Jesus. We want a sign that you really will prove that you're The Messiah and we see what what is happening here is they look to Jesus that they're following and that their belief in Jesus is really it is tied to the idea of Jesus fulfilling what they think he ought to do it's tied to the competence that they perceive that Jesus has And that's what they're looking to, that if Jesus will only do what we asked him to do, we'll follow him. If he can prove himself, then we'll follow. If he doesn't do that, if he can't deliver a sign, eh, I'm not going to follow. I'm not going to follow him. And I've seen this happen in our lives. I see this on people's social social media feeds. I see it in conversations, I hear it in conversations that I have with people. That they they connect their following of Jesus with him delivering for them on their terms. If Jesus will heal me, if Jesus will provide this, if Jesus will just give this, if Jesus does this, then I will follow him. But if he doesn't, I'm out of here. Because if he doesn't do that, then he doesn't love me. Then he's not who he says he is. And I'm not going to follow. I need to see it first, and then I'll follow. And we tie our, our following of Jesus onto the benchmarks that we set for him that we tell him that he has to do. And that's not how we live our faith. That is completely backwards. Because we are told in the scriptures in 2 Corinthians that we live by faith and not by sight. We don't look to see what Jesus has done first and then decide, okay, well, he did that, all right. I'm gonna go follow him. We take the step and then we trust that he will give us what we need. Didn't he say they said, seek first the kingdom of God. That's my step first, and then all these things will be added unto you. I'm going to trust you, Jesus, to then provide for me, to give me, to build into my life exactly what I need, and I know you will do it. We live by faith and not by sight. And maybe you're here this morning and you've been wrestling with that, that you've been saying, I'm not following Jesus because he didn't deliver for me. I just want to encourage you to let go of that what is the area of your life today that you just need to take that step in and you just say i'm going to trust jesus even though i don't see even though i don't understand even though i don't know i'm going to trust that he knows what's best for me that he has my good in mind that he is faithful and he's proved it because he went to the cross and he died for us do you need to know any more about his love than that Do you need a sign any bigger than that to say I'm going to follow you because if you would give your life for me, there's no one else who would do that. And I'm following you today. We need to unhinge our following from the performance that we expect Jesus to do. And maybe that's blurring your vision today. Maybe that's a barrier for you. The fourth question that they ask of Jesus is this. They actually ask it among themselves. They are talking together. And uh, in verse 42, 642, they said to one another, 642, is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know, how can he now say, I came down from heaven? Right, the crowd is, is looking here at Jesus. And I think the obstacle that gets in their way what is creating a barrier for them is familiarity. Familiarity. Somehow uh, I'm not exactly sure the connection that this crowd has with Jesus. We know that uh, uh, Capernaum where Jesus is and then there's Nazareth. It's maybe a, maybe a three, four day walk uh, by distance to get there. So I, I'm sure they, they went back and forth because this is the little what we would call the evangelical triangle where all the Jewish people lived, so it was a community up there that lived. And so they're they're, they're familiar with Jesus. They're familiar with his family. They're familiar with who he is, and they're like, oh yeah, we know Joseph. We We know Mary, and isn't this Jesus? Isn't he the builder that came out of Nazareth? Didn't he work for Joseph? This is that guy? And wait a minute, now he's trying to tell us that he's the bread that came down from heaven? What? How could he ever do that? That makes no sense, because we know him. Jesus, we know him. How could he deliver that? And sometimes our vision gets blurred by our familiarity. We got Jesus all figured out. We know who Jesus is. We know how he walks. We know what he does. I mean, after all, I live in western Michigan. I grew up in church Mecca. I've been to so many services. I've heard so many stories. I know Jesus backwards and forwards. This is who Jesus is, and this is how Jesus works. And I got them all figured out. And we're familiar with them. And so when we hear Jesus say something to us that falls outside of the bounds of our familiarity, we're like, well, no, wait a minute. That can't be Jesus. That can't be him. When Jesus is calling us to go here and move here and move here, we're like, eh, that's not the Jesus I know. So I'm not going there. I'm not doing that. My Jesus is here. I got my Jesus. He's, he's wrapped up. He's in this little box. I know him inside and out. This is Jesus. He would never take me there. He would never take me over there. Why would he lead me there? That's not who he is. Joe Thorne in his book, Note to Self, The Discipline of Preaching to Yourself, writes this in chapter seven. He says, Dear self, take note. Your view of Jesus tends to shrink over time. It is not that your theology itself drifts, but sometimes you so focus on one aspect of Jesus that you tend to forget the rest the result is a shrinking jesus in your faith and as your shrinking jesus becomes small jesus he is easily eclipsed by your idols and ego the bigger and more biblical your understanding of who jesus is the more likely he is to be a, such an object of love and adoration that the idols that aim at capturing your attention and swaying your allegiance will lose their power he continues to write This is probably why the church is shrinking in North America. Because small Jesus does not inspire awe, command respect, lead to worship, or compel us to talk of him, much less suffer for him. And small Jesus is too little to arrest the attention of the world. Could it be that our vision of Jesus is a small Jesus, that we got them all figured out, well, Jesus is just love, Jesus is kindness, Jesus is this, Jesus is that. And we need to recognize that Jesus is fully God. And there's no way we can comprehend the fullness of who Jesus is. And quite often in my conversations with people about church and Jesus and faith and church, I say, we need to give people a Jesus that has teeth. We need to give Jesus that commands people's life. We need to give people a big Jesus that gives them somebody to lead and to follow and could it be that you're eh, laissez-faire about Jesus you're not all that thrilled about coming to to worship this Jesus that you're not really giving much of your life to this Jesus because you've just grown numb to him and you're so familiar with him Could you dive into the gospels and commit yourself to reading matthew mark luke and john and getting to know who this jesus is when was the last time you read through the gospels have you ever read through the gospels do you know this jesus that you claim to follow or do you just know little nuggets of jesus maybe you could watch the chosen series let that expand your mind on jesus get to know this jesus And you will see that we cannot put him in a box. And he is worthy of everything that Joe Thorne said there, of our awe, of our worship, of our conversation. We need to get rid of this barrier of being familiar to Jesus. The last question that the disciples, or that the crowd asks of Jesus, in verse 52, we see that the crowd comes along and they say, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? I mean, we read it, right? Jesus is going, my body's your flesh. You need to have my flesh. You need to drink my my body. And they got all done with that. And they were like, what? And it says they begin to argue about themselves because they just just didn't understand what Jesus was talking about. He has presented a, a truth and he's presented a teaching that has knocked them off their rockers. This is not in my my realm of understanding. This is not who who Jesus is. And I think in many ways, they, they put up a barrier of Jesus with what they know of who they understand him to be, that they have Jesus all figured out. And when Jesus delivers a teaching, when Jesus declares himself to be different than what their preconceived notion of who Jesus is, they're like, no, no, no. That's not him. Because he would never teach this. How could he teach this? This is, this is incomprehensible. Because there are sometimes that Jesus teaches us and leads us in ways that are beyond our human understanding. And when he does that, that becomes a barrier to us. Because we look at it and we're like, I don't see it. I don't see how that can happen. Because I have my book of systematic theology right here. I got 12 chapters on how God works, how Jesus works in the world. It's all organized right here. And yet Jesus said this. My Reformed theology tells me this right here. It's, it's written right here in the, in the canons of Dort for crying out loud. They're right here. That's how Jesus works. And you're telling me Jesus wants me to do that? No, not a chance. In our human understanding, our human reasoning, what we have figured out about Jesus, when it doesn't make sense, sometimes we just drop it. We say, no, I'm I'm not going there. I can't do that. Jesus, you want me to turn the other cheek You really want me to love those who are my enemy? Nah, I'm not going to do that. You're asking me to to give my all? You're asking me to come first when I come to worship God, to bring my gifts first to him and be generous to God with with my money? What? I can't do that, Jesus. No way can I do that. Jesus, what do you mean? That we need to keep marriage between a man and a woman, Jesus. That that doesn't make sense. That's that's not even nice, Jesus. How can we do that? We thought you were love. How could you say that, Jesus? It doesn't make sense. Jesus, I don't get it. What? You want us to make room in our homes for for immigrants and for those who are being persecuted and for those uh, who who are orphaned? What? Jesus, I'm comfortable here in my house. How do you expect me to do that? And we could keep going through chapter after chapter of things that Jesus has told us to do that I believe that many of us have just dropped off the page because it doesn't fit in our realm of thinking who we think Jesus is, or actually maybe even who we want Jesus to be. We've crafted Jesus into our image of who he is, and this is the way he works. And Jesus is saying, uh-uh, uh-uh, this is the way that I work. And isn't it great? that we follow a savior who we cannot figure out Amen. i don't want a jesus that i can know everything and have it all figured out i wanted jesus who is almighty i wanted jesus who holds the world in his hand i wanted jesus whose thoughts are higher than my thoughts and whose ways are bigger than my ways and you know what we got one Amen. and sometimes he says things to us He only reveals in his word, I mean, he couldn't possibly reveal everything that he wants us to do because our heads would just simply explode, right? We wouldn't be able to do it. But he's revealed what, in his word, what he believes we can do to be shaped into the image of Jesus Christ, to look like God, to reflect the kingdom of God in his world. And this is enough right here that he's given us to do. He goes, that's what you can figure out in your little minds right here. I'll let you do this, but he's big so i just want to ask you today in what ways do you need to let jesus expand your minds what teachings have you been pushing back against in what ways do you rebel when you hear truth of the word Do you first put up a wall or do you open up your heart to receive and ask god how might this apply in my life this crowd was struggling to see jesus clearly i get it he's he's given him a teaching there that we probably could mull over ourselves for weeks and weeks. And they look at him, and in so many ways, they just keep putting up barrier after barrier after barrier in terms of what Jesus is saying, because that's not what they see. It's not what they, they see and want him to be. And maybe you're in that place today, too. That the th- And I just want to ask you to consider that. Are there barriers that you need to remove in your your vision of who Jesus is. Maybe there's, there's one that I mentioned today that you could just wrestle with. Don't go after all five. Just try, start with one. I mean, i will be happy if you go after all five, but maybe just start with one. Say, I'm gonna try to expand my vision of who Jesus is in this way. And I'll tell you what, that if you do that, it's gonna be, it's gonna take a life commitment. Because any following of Jesus starts with, take up your cross daily daily this is daily and follow me and so we begin to follow Jesus and no matter what he says with a clear view of who he is and I'm telling you as you follow him with that cross he's gonna call you and the place that he's gonna ask you to go is through what he says is a small gate it's a small gate most people are going through this gate over here because it's nice and big and large, and man, there are all kinds of people going through it. But if you are following Jesus, if you are a Christ follower, you are not going through this gate, Jesus says, you're going through this gate over here. It's small, but Jesus, I'm gonna be different. Exactly, because you're walking in the kingdom of God. You're walking and following like me, and I am not of this world. And he says, you're going to go through this small gate. And then where does that small gate lead you? He says it leads you to a very narrow path. And who's on that narrow path? Jesus. Not, many. Not many. We have Jesus there with very few is the word that Jesus uses. Well, on this path, you're going to find a whole mess of people. You're going to find a crowd. You're going to find people pushing and shoving to go down this path. But Jesus says, Nope. You taken that cross you're following me clearly what I've asked you to do it's gonna be a small gate it may not make sense to you you may not understand it it may not be how how you perceive the world should work but follow me through this gate it's gonna be a narrow path and when you get on this narrow path here's my promise to you it leads to one thing and that is life eternal it gives you life 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 eternal that's where this path leads this path leads to destruction and so you may be here this morning hearing these teachings of jesus beginning to think through these things that we talked about this morning and maybe you might be like the crowd that it says right here that many of uh, verse 60 on hearing this many of his disciples said this is a hard teaching who can accept it that's their last question who can accept it not us and from that time on it says in verse 66, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. As Jesus said, here's the gate. Here's the path. Here's who I am. Here's my teaching. This is who I call you to be. This is what a Christ follower is. Let's go through here on the narrow gate. And they're like, I'm out. Too tough. I'm going over here. And maybe you're at that point that you're hearing these teachings and you're considering it and you're tempted to turn back. But remember what Peter said in this passage. Jesus turned to them and said, well, Peter, are you going to turn back as well? And Peter's response was, who else has the words of life? It's not there. It's here. Of course I'm going to follow. So take down those barriers that are keeping you from following Jesus and get on the path the narrow path, because it leads to life. God, we thank you for this teaching in this day. We thank you for your words to guide us, to instruct us, that are here not to, as some people might think, to make life miserable or to squeeze us or, or to uh, cause us um, uh, hurt and despair. But God, it's for life. It's for what's best for us, God, And we thank you for them. And I ask right now that in this place, as we've been thinking about our vision and how we see you, God, that if there are ways and barriers that are in front of us, that in this moment, in this time, God, uh, you'd remove them. That your spirit would come and convict us. And that we would be able to, to break them down. Because that we know that you are life. There is no one else but you our life and if we don't put our hope and trust in you and if we're not following you then we have nothing so God help us to follow you clearly breaking down whatever barrier we have so that you can be our Lord and you can be our Savior we thank you for being the bread of life and we give you all our heart